Hey, y'all. How's it going? My name's Julio. I'm here with Dolce. Hi, everyone. And Caputo. Hey, y'all. And we're talking about Pride, how it started, where it's going, and how we really feel about it. Enjoy. Pride, pride, pride. Is anyone really proud nowadays? Should we be? <laughs> <laughs> Can you not? Okay, let's not start like that. You know what? I will start it off. because <laughs> no, The best part about this is we'll just find the right point later. But I'm so irritated by that. Like, that just needs to be, like, a cutout or some shit. Irritating. Right? Okay. Y'all see the vision. I don't get it. Listen, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm just saying. Okay. okay. Anyway, I just think. (laughs) Pride. Should we be proud? Should we just go back to the old ways of Catholicism and just repent always? (laughs) You know what? What I will say is what even with that irritating Catholicism bar, there is something to be said about the idea that something like this is defined by pride as a like as an emotion or maybe as a stance, right? Like it could have been named some other shit. I don't know what, but like just imagine that. Like what if it was named like here or or <laughs> or like even queer or something, you know what I mean? It could have just been named after the people, but the idea that we should be proud of something that we're told to be ashamed of is definitely profound. So one thing I found during my research is that before Pride became the sort of name of the movement, um, as early as the 1920s in America, there was documented gay rights organizations founded. So it just goes to show you maybe that there was some political motivations behind the switch or maybe some marketing. Mm, yeah, probably. I mean, there's always, like, in every civil rights movement of any type, there is always a change to be more palatable, like, majority-wise. Right. So when Rosa Parks was used as kind of the uh, poster child for black women in, in a violent system, um, they ended up kind of changing the mood of civil rights, if you will. So to me, Pride is a nice general moniker you can use that helps it be palatable to other people because everyone feels pride in some way um and it does help to bring some people in that is definitely a good point because i feel like the whole essence of pride maybe in like the more mainstream sense is the notion of we're just like you vernacular it's very like you know, we're pretty much straight people. It's just we're gay. So, like, be okay with it. You know? I, I don't know. Like, that... <laughs> at least, Ew. like... At, I know. It's gross. It's gross. It's gross. But, like, at least in mainstream, the way pride is marketed in the mainstream is like that. It's, we're just like you. We should be able to get married just like straight people. We should be able to do this just like straight people. Because we're pretty much just straight people that fuck buttholes and pussies. Like, it's just like, oh, you know, like, that's it. That's the only difference. So What I'll say to that is that does feel very similar to how at least the beginnings of civil rights movements tend to start, right? It's like, hey, majorly powerful people who are not as oppressed, like, we're just like you. We just have this, like, one difference, right? Like, don't be so mean, you know? It, mm-hmm. it's, it does follow naturally, I think, logically, but there's definitely more current discussion and um, conversations that I think complicate that and make that a little bit less yeah um, I think that make that less of an attractive argument to make do mm-hmm. we want to talk about that at all uh, I guess I could tackle it first because I do want to get to that point that Caputo made yeah. where it's the it's just we're just like you moment um, we're just like you has kind of taken its own spin I think in the 80s we were very, especially the gay part of the spectrum, was very interested in the we're just like you assimilation movement, mm. which meant that white cis gay men were able to um, assimilate into cishet culture with their white privilege. And nowadays, that is, we basically shame people now on Miss Twitter um, <laughs> for doing um, assimilation tactics, which, you know, is fun for the girls like me who want to, you know, pass a little bit uh, when we go out i'm not gonna get into that oh, um, no. but yeah so, 
<laughs> you know, assimilation tactics now don't work as well, but back then that was a very big thing. Even like some of our biggest proponents politically, like the Harvey Milks and activists that were white and cis back then, were very interested in doing assimilation without um, involving certain underclassed groups within our very own spectrum. Those being the people who even started Pride, basically, which are trans and non-binary and agender people within our community. So it's funny the Just Like You movement ended up doing exactly what it was supposed to do, which was exclude the people who aren't just like us or aren't just like the majority. But isn't that how it always kind of works around here? I mean, when you think about the reasons why when this country first was working through some of its um, more critical disparities and how people represent and how that they're able to be represented by the state. I mean, you had people who were poor and then you had people who were poor and like black (laughs) and you had people who were slaves and you had people who were enslaved and white at the same time. And then when people started realizing, hey, like we have more things in common and we have different, those who would benefit from um, the oppression of the people at the very bottom found really creative and exciting ways to sort of open up the floodgates, so to speak, and to allow more and more people who fit a little bit closer to the majority into the fold so that they would actually help oppress everybody else. And I think Mm -hmm. that does speak to how, um, as much as maybe the sort of low hanging fruit argument um, is effective, right? Like, hey, we're just like you, we're human, we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're normal, but we just have this one difference. As as effective as that can be, it's really clear how, as as movements get more um, sophisticated and, and last longer, and more and more people sort of get to maybe break through that first level of the of the you know proverbial sort of glass ceiling when the people who get left behind still have the same issues and so you you can't account for and and allow for everyone to to do better and to advance in society under that same structure and so i think that's why like more recent conversations that i'm that i'm privy to are more about dismantling and destroying and removing in some cases, entire aspects of the structure as opposed to trying to preserve it and allow more people to benefit. Because that just doesn't work as well. Yeah, and we could say that now, like, as, you know, in the year 2022, that I feel most of the the civil rights movements that we have still ongoing, social justice movements that we still have going, are more about dismantling those systems. But in the beginning of most of those movements... It was almost like necessary to do that we're just like you pitching first because it becomes more firstly to humanize yourself in the eyes of your oppressors than it is to just completely dismantle. And I feel like that was like what the first part of Pride was, was just like, you are actually killing us. Like, y'all really do not see us. Y'all see us as subhuman. Like, we have to first fight for the the right to even be seen and be humanized. And I think a lot of people just kind of held on to that. Like, this is where it, ha- it, it can stop because the people that were already at the top of the group, let's say, like, white, gay, cis men... Once they got humanized, that was all they really needed to do because that was the only, you know, thing they were tackling in that fight. But now, still in 2022, we still have people oppressed by homophobia, transphobia, and racism. And that's why I feel that pride has changed. But there are also, again, some people that want to assimilate or people that are so close to that top totem pole that they can shimmy their way into assimilation. (laughs) (laughs) They can can, can shimmy up the totem pole and say, hey, like, we're just like the people up here at the top, so, like, we don't need to be doing the rest of this work. Like, we don't really need to be doing, like, all the other dismantling stuff because, like, once we do that, then, like, we're going to go back to, like, the middle of the totem pole or, like, the bottom of the totem pole or, like, whatever. So, it just kind of, like, changes. Like, things change over time, but, like, sometimes those... I feel like those things are, are necessary and in the even in like the old heads, you know, mindset where the respectability politics comes into it, it's like, oh, don't do too much against the man type of thing. What that, do you mean by respectability politics? Just to make sure we're super clear on that. When it comes to how much you can go against the grain. Like when it comes to let's say protesting or 
saying things like dismantle the system. Like, there are some people that I would say, like, when I talk to older people, like, my elders and my family, um, my grandparents when they were alive, like, coming from Puerto Rico, like, they have a different mindset of, like, the world and how we're able to change it than I do. And it all has to do with this kind of idea of you have to always be respectful of the the systems, I guess. Like, work within the system rather than, like, break the system. You know, it's funny you say that. I almost feel like that's a part of it. I know that when I have been exposed to respectability politics as a term, it was often also associated with the idea that in order to um, gain access to certain privileges and rights even, you had to actually be worthy of them and prove that to the people who had those things already. And I feel like that's why, at least for me, the people that I've been exposed to, who I tend to agree with when it comes to how we maybe talk about respectability politics as a tactic, I think that it has like sort of like a bit of a stain on it in the sense that like it's kind of icky to tell people who fundamentally are human, fundamentally should have certain rights, or at least we've been taught that we should, that they have to kind of like prove to everybody else that they're worth giving a shit about or worth living or worth being safe and free of harm. Um, And now that I'm talking through it, it does make me think about kind of like the idea that the word pride almost instills a sense of like, you have to really be proud of who you are and show everyone that because in a way, that's like how we'll get to a point of actually receiving rights and being safe and free, as opposed to putting the onus on the community that we're a part of to operate with a sense of dignity and respect for human life. Yeah, true. And it's a big, it's a big symbolic thing too. It's like some, like most people are not running around with rainbow flags on their entire bodies all year round, but it's a symbolic thing of like not going back into the shadows or in the closet or just showing everyone that this is okay or saying that you're not going to back down. Like there's a lot of different symbolic things that I think comes behind pride because we use the word pride since we're talking about that. Like because it's about pride, we have to be like, you know, so much of it, it has to just ooze out of us like for it to make sense to use that word, I guess. Yeah. So what do we? Res- oh, go on. I was just gonna say that respectability politics like feeds into our, like a main the main question of like is pride about political groundwork anymore? Because I think that when I think about respectability politics these days, some of it is now even transferring over to what our image is, like the respectability of our image. Um, like on Twitter, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be really gay right now, but on Twitter, there's this clip of this girl in short shorts, um, glasses, and she looks like Misty from Pokemon, um, except for Latinx. And she is twerking in front of, you know, these police. I think you all have seen this video. Oh my God, shut up. I have seen the video. It's, it's, it's like pipeline. Isn't it, isn't it like a pipeline protest? Yeah, it was like a pipeline protest. Um, and you know, when I saw that video... <laughs> When I saw that video, um, you know, me four years ago, since this is a new era of the podcast, me four years ago, I would have been like, God, I'm tired of seeing the gays do this. Like, why can't the girls just make their OnlyFans, put the top one point whatever percent in the bio and just leave? Why can't they do that? But me now, I'm like, oh, no, I actually really appreciate her feminine, like her femme identity being presented in front of this patriarchal state funded system (laughs) by using this gay twerking shit in order to express herself and i was actually very i i was appalled at first because i was like damn this is polarizing but i was also like god i would not have cared if she was in this rally either way um previously but this twerking thing is actually really kind of sickening but i think for people who are not interested in like the femme identity and queerness in that kind of that image it removed some of the respectability of the protest scene in front of this pipeline initiative so i find (laughs) it's funny that nowadays if you are like that person who is twerking hey girl if you're listening um if you are that person, 
you are a deterrent to your own movement by technically being yourself. And even though you're doing the quote unquote political groundwork, um, you as the respectability is it's no longer there because you, the person has kind of broken this like contract of what it looks like to be an activist or to be a part of the movement or what to do at said movement. I think it's weird though. And honestly, I feel like we should set a note to talk about that aspect of modern day activism or what I would like to call like chaos activism. (laughs) Um, I would love to have a conversation about that separate from this. I think uh, there's so many things to talk about there. Um, My one note there is that um, in any situation where you're trying to affect change, being disruptive and starting a riot, starting a conversation, I think is an element of what could be effective as maybe a campaign or a strategy. The only thing is, as someone who like works with campaigns and works strategically for a living, you do have to connect that to actions behind the scenes um, that actually lead you to a desired outcome. And so I do think that while there's definitely arguments about how effective and powerful it can be to simply be that agent of chaos that you know strikes the conversation and garners attention and gets people talking, I do think our current culture overvalues that over simple and tried and true and tested methods of asserting, um, of basically making an argument and making change in our political environment. So I do think that sometimes we can almost distract ourselves with the tactics when really we're not as aware of this of the strategy and how we fit into it. So that's just kind of one thing I'd love to say about that. I do think though that it seems like we all agree on some level that pride and elements of pride are political, even though the sort of effectiveness maybe of that policy or those political sort of tactics is maybe in question. Does that sound accurate? See. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I definitely like the agent of chaos point. Love that. I, I too am an agent of chaos in most spaces that I'm in. But yes, no, yeah, I definitely agree. Pride is definitely political. Just like every act of, you know, self-love is political, especially as like a queer person. Like, it's all related to politics because we're just politicized immediately. And, you know, it's funny because one of the notes we have, just for the sake of the audience, one of the notes we have to talk about when it comes to this conversation is, like, not only is pride political, yes or no, but, like, how has the political identity of pride persisted over time since it started in in comparison to now? So, for instance, I'd love to take a couple moments just to talk about, okay, pride's roots are political, and we do feel like there's an, there are political elements of pride that have persisted to this day. How do we feel like the impact of pride is actually, like, what do we think the impact of it is today? Does it feel like we're making an impact with pride? Do we feel like we need to change things or go in a different direction? What's our, what's our thought? What are our thoughts there? Uh, you mean um, corporations pride? Capitalism's oh. pride? <laughs> Citibank, Citibank presents. Citibank. <laughs> Citibank presents pride. Um... I I don't know what is next for Pride, honestly. I'm ready to experience my first Pride Month in New York City. That's going to be very interesting. Going to be here for a whole month and see as a resident, all the, right? All the ridiculous shit that goes on for 28 days of the 30 day month. So, um, but yeah, like I don't know exactly what is next for Pride because I feel like Pride as a celebration is doing very well. I think Pride as an agent of self-expression is doing very well in certain cities. I think Pride just like means certain things to certain people. And when it comes to maybe those that fall out of the mainstream and fit more in the margins of a queer identity, like that idea and that expression, certain cities' Prides especially that I've been to, if we're talking about, like, the celebration of it and, like, the month, they don't really host very well for certain identities. And New York is one place that has been, you know, revered as the place to be for whatever uh, identity, whatever pronouns you use, whatever this, whatever that. Like, it's all 
it's like the mecca supposedly and you know atlanta is like queer gay black mecca and uh oh no atlanta did i say mecca atlanta so it's it kind of just makes it hard to really qualify what pride is or what pride is doing depending on where you're at you know are you going to be able to experience pride or is pride going to give you the same experience if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma compared to San Francisco, California as a trans person? I think we have to say the answer is no, right? Obviously that's going to be no. It's not going to be the same experience. It's not going to feel the same or be, or, and I think that there's going to be maybe a, a proportional change to your experience based on the freedoms you enjoy as a member of the gay or you know, queer community in your area when you are experiencing pride. Yeah. When you're normally more free, pride's probably going to feel really affirming and exciting. And maybe when you're not, it might feel scary. Yeah. Yeah. It also depends on, like, political timing. Like, it depends on world events and things like that. I find that pride adjusts itself to what is happening in the world at the moment that it's happening. So um, prior to the pandemic... Pride to me was not very useful other than for, you know, meeting up with the girls and going to a party or two and um, doing those things. And there is a political segment of Pride, but that segment is hidden away past the festivities. Um, And I've noticed there has been um, at post pandemic, like a resurgence in the politicized version of pride versus the sanitized one that um you see up front and it's less about the partying for i think especially the more visible now it's more visible um black and brown queer people who are outside of the cis identifier i find that those individuals when they go to pride they're not only having fun at pride but they're also involved in like the political part Um, And because our year, our past two years has just been so tumultuous with the amount of events that we've had and also recent legislation, I have a feeling that Pride this year will have a very different energy. Um, It's almost like Pride in a way is like a stage. Mm -hmm. And it's about like what's on the docket or maybe like it's an event we go to kind of like let's 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 pretend it's like the gay Met Gala, right? As if the Met Gala was (laughs) already. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the sort of docket is all of the things that we need to to sort of address during that time. And isn't that such a huge burden? It kind of feels like, for instance, as a black person, like once black, once February hits, you got like 28 days to figure out how to stand for every possible issue that you can think of, Mm -hmm. because that's allegedly like when everyone's going to actually be primed to listen to you and give a shit about what you're saying. Do you feel like it's similar? I love the Met Gala comparison because also there's always a theme and no one ever meets the theme. <laughs> like that's also that how pride <laughs> that's also how pride works. Like there's always a theme, but everyone just kind of does their own shit anyway because mm. no one gives a fuck. All people want to do is just party. Or okay, so this pride, who are we wearing? Ooh, uh, ooh, <laughs> Frank, Frankie Grande's uh, wedding gown. Oh God. <laughs> Ariana did not sing at the wedding, by the way. That is the shade Mm -hmm. of of the century. I know one thing we're wearing is Roe v. Wade, potentially. Oh! Are we or are we we getting stripped of it? Is it it being ripped off of our bodies? I guess it depends on if, like, you're in an area where pride, like, actually is relevant to women and, you know, their bodies. Yeah. I guess that's probably part of it, isn't it? No. So for us in the South... For us in the South, that is not the case. (laughs) For those of you in the North, um, it is very useful for y'all in the North. Um, Pride is great there, but when it comes to those of us in the Bible Belt, um, and whatever the fuck Florida is, because she's not even part of the Bible Belt, she's a whole other um, (laughs) abyss. Uh, Also, stream made in abyss. Um, Yeah, here in the South, I'm living in Florida for the audience. Um, If you're a new listener, you'll know that um, Florida is not is not the tea, but I decided to stay here because New York City called me poor. Um, and because Ooh, of such... She may have been right at the time. <laughs> she was right at the time, because I didn't have a raise or a promotion then, so... Um, but let's not get too much into my finances. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Florida's finances, because currently, um, Florida has two bill, two legislative bills that are kind of um, rolling back 
um, human rights for a few identities, one of which is the don't say gay bill, quote unquote. Um, And then the other is legislation that's going against um, abortion rights. And so states like Texas and um, I believe it's Alabama, don't quote me, but um, states like Texas specifically um, have already kind of put restrictions around abortion rights um, and things like that. And this is all stemming from the fact that federally, if you don't know, the Constitution protects federal rights and um, basically puts a lay of the land, like blanket law um, on the docket. And then some blinders. Yeah. It basically like minor boundaries. Yeah. It makes sure that you can't at the state level, laws can't be instated that affect federal things. And um, it's a nice division of power or whatever for the girls who like that. But um, as we have seen, that didn't necessarily work that well because obviously our past two presidents, Obama, and now of course we have Biden now, um, none have codified um, Roe v. Wade or any of the major um, legal cases that have helped with human rights. And when you don't codify something, constitutional rights can actually be um, amended and changed um, over time. And that's kind of what's happening now in 2022, where Roe v. Wade is basically, because it's not codified, is being put up for a draft opinion with the Supreme Court. And with that, we have a Republican majority Supreme Court, which is not good because essentially they're okay with voting away Roe v. Wade based on a draft opinion that it was unconstitutional at the time and that Roe was in, um, it was like, it was unconstitutional, which I just, I'm not a lawyer girly. I can't yeah, say we're going to find time, and I think what we'll do is maybe even get some outside help unpacking some of the policy, especially as it matures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just to make sure we stick to the sort of conversation here, I think that the reason it's so relevant to bring up in a conversation about pride is that, for one thing, we have to interrogate like how useful pride is as a as a, as a vehicle for change. And also, like, what our relationship as modern gays and queers is to this sort of once-a-year celebration that has such important and relevant, honestly, to the, even to this day, history. Um, and so I'd love to get to a point where maybe we talk through not only, like, what pride means to people like us, but also, like, is pride serving us all the same way? And in what ways can we maybe... Um, examine that and potentially suggest improvements. So do we want to start with just talking about that? Like, who is Pride for? Mm. (laughs) I mean, Mm. in theory, Pride's for everyone. I mean, mean, in theory, I mean, we all get together. Um, But... We, I mean, I know you did say, like, what was it, Citibank celebrates? It, it Citibank presents, yeah. She <laughs> she rolls it out every year. RuPaul rolls out the red carpet, and Citibank signs with the check, girl. Um, but even so, like, I think it's also interesting that um, we have one pride for, like, the entire queer umbrella. Um, because I think the main issue with pride is that there's always going to be people either intentionally left out of the quote-unquote celebration or people that just don't feel welcome based on the demographic of the people that attend pride events uh the demographic of people that are marketed to by i.e citibank um colgate you know craft uh craft foods like whoever's signing the check that year like they're going to be marketing pride towards certain people. If there's no black people on their marketing, how are black queer people supposed to be... How are they supposed to feel included? If there's Ooh. if there's no marketing done in Spanish, how are people that are queer living in the United States that don't speak English and they only speak Spanish, how are they supposed to feel included? So it's kind of like a double-edged sword there because then you end up getting things like multiple different separate prides, which is honestly sometimes necessary uh, yeah. For things about like safety um, and inclusivity, 
like I've seen and actually have been to Girls in, Girls in Wonderland before, um, which is a lesbian or a uh, woman woman pride essentially. If I had to like put it into those words, but it's called Girls in Wonderland, and uh, that is in Orlando at least was just as big as the quote unquote normal pride event. Like the like the just the blank pride like no codifying qualifier words in there just the pride event and then there's this other event that was going on the same weekend called Girls in Wonderland that, that had pretty much the same level of attendance. So it's less poppers. Hey, I mean it was less poppers, but the girls were girling. Okay, like I will say that the girls <laughs> the girls were girling. It was everything. But yeah, like it just like it's, it kind of either forces. Um, people of different identities to kind of either make their own pride, make their own spaces intentionally, kind of do their own thing. So it, if someone wants to be signing a check, if the corporations want to sign checks to, to do pride, it's all about making the spaces that include everyone or saying, hey, maybe we need to kind of split this thing up because everyone that's queer is not going to have the same experience. If we get them all, all the queers in one room... And just say, hey, here's the pride where everyone gets celebrated. There's always going to be people that aren't as celebrated or even people that aren't celebrated at all in that room. So maybe it's a a thing of having to intentionally make space at that level as opposed to or that level and also like a ground level grassroots thing. In my opinion, I don't know. That that was like a big chunk of vomit. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> my biggest question here was like, who who is Pride for? You know what I mean? And I have a feeling like, based on what you're saying, it feels like maybe it should be for everyone, but in a lot of cases, it is, cases it isn't. Yeah, it can't be for everyone. It really can't be. I mean, the movement started, and there's of course I'm going to reference another um, famous clip, but you have Sylvia Rivera, who was one of our um, trans Latinx icons. That kind of started the um, like trans queer vert like part of the um, pride movement in the mid seventies, and with Sylvia Rivera, she was at um, like a pride event, and you can see spanned out on this. Um, I think it was in San Francisco. It was like spanned out on this huge field, a bunch of different types of queer people, mostly cis gay men. I'm gonna assume. Um, because lesbians were not necessarily included in Pride at that point either. Um, There was like a huge class between the groups back then. But when she, Sylvia, went on stage, she was getting booed by her own community. Exactly. Um, And that really stuck in my mind when watching that clip, because you would think that this person who's, as she said on stage, you know, I'm homeless, I've given up my job, I've lost, I've been beaten up in the streets, I've done sex work for you people, like, she started Star with Marsha P. Johnson in 1970, and, like, that group of people put their lives on the line, it was already on the line anyway, because there are trans people of color, but um, they put their lives on the line to support people in quote-unquote pride, but those very same people have turned their backs on her because going back to our original topic in the beginning, which was respectability politics that we picked up on, she didn't meet the respectability politics of what queer people at that time were interested in having as mainstream. So I think as much as we want pride to be for everyone, it really isn't, and it's based on who at the time represents what is um most aesthetically pleasing for politics at the time that's important let's i want to interrogate that interrogate that for a second because Mm -hmm. that to me is really reminiscent of aspects of even as a caribbean person um things that i've criticized about the way that for instance post-colonial communities represent themselves in media so for instance like let's say you're haitian or you're dominican or you're puerto rican or whatever you are right um, if you're watching news, the people on the news don't necessarily look like the po- the actual populace, right? Or the people who you'll, you'll see on international media don't necessarily represent the average regular person in specific communities. And I think that it's interesting how, like, even in the queer community, there's maybe a bit of, like, a microcosm going on of that same dynamic where the people we push to the forefront as representation of who we are and who should be, not only who we are, but who should be proud to be a member of our community 
those people don't always look like the people who need it the most. Um, and I think that Sylvia Rivera is such a great example of that because um, Sylvia's representation, her gender, her identity, her class, all of those aspects of who she were and all of those aspects of her that were almost exactly what we needed to protect were the thing that kept her furthest away from the people that she was advocating for. And so mm -hmm. it sucks that in Pride, I think that we still see a lot of palatable, like muscle gay, light skin, or, you know, like cis, you know, cisgender representation as sort of like the first and foremost uh, brand of what it is to be in the queer community. And then you kind of get like this like weird trickle down effect where like you kind of throw in a couple black bodies, a couple, you know, really muscular, but a little chunky, like cis heterosexuals, I mean, cis um, homo dudes. Because that's another thing we'll get into is this whole like body positivity movement within queer culture. There are aspects of this same dynamic at work where I think we kind of like pick and choose the elements that are most marketable and then we kind of just mm -hmm. like assume that the rest will take care of itself. What you were saying before uh, makes me think I just had this playing in my mind. Uh, when I used to live in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, y'all, shout out Jacks, Florida, Duval. Anyways, so, yes, I used to live in the southern part, not geographically southern, but culturally southern part of Florida. And they have a certain level of pride there, I will say. There is a sprawling queer community hidden just beneath the surface. And one of my very good friends, uh, Giella, hashtag, or not hashtag, at Giella on all uh, platforms, they are a DJ and cultural activist, um, and they were hired by the city to do a DJ set for Pride. Uh, and when they were doing their set, they essentially said, Hey, okay, all black people to the front, everyone in the front, make room. Like, white people in the back, black people in the front. Like, I think just after they had seen who was, you know, the main people up there, especially because one of our other friends was hired to take pictures of the event, and I guess they were just like, so, girl, like, all I'm seeing are white people, like, in, in, in the front, like, dancing. Like, I'm trying to make these the pictures for this event to be indicative of what's actually here, like the people representing like who's actually here. So Giella goes, black people to the front, everyone else make the fuck room or move to the back, make room for the black people. Like we're here to uplift everybody. And that's not what I'm seeing. They were not requested to come back that next year. I, I, I believe. And also just had a lot of shit just like talked about in um pretty much like with the city they just were not okay with that like there was like publications written about them about that moment and it that just goes to show again like some people can't even palette the smallest level of disruption of systems already in place. Like, the system we know that in place is that the white, the cis, the gay are always going to be ab above the black, the trans, and just any other identity that's not white, cis, and, and gay. And people being told, like, oh, I have to make room because, you know, I'm oppressing, blah, 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 blah. That's already too much. For some there people. is something to be said <laughs> about the fact that that dynamic is so relevant at a Pride event, which is supposed to be like fundamentally at the deepest level, maybe not so much now, right? We've talked about this. Supposed to be a political event that mm -hmm. enables and, and makes space for the most vulnerable in our community or communities. And so it is interesting that those who enjoy the most privilege and the most access to various aspects of society and in, in in of, in of our community um, attend these events and center themselves. It's tough, though, I will admit, um, to go to a Pride event and know that Pride is about this sort of transcendent or uh, quality or group of qualities that we all have, which is our identity, our sexuality, that 
sort of goes beyond or maybe enhances or, or adds nuance to the whole race and class dynamic that's so important in America, it is tough to sort of, I think, broker conversations between these groups and find ways to like actually find common ground. And so it, I would love to have another opportunity to really dig into that as well, right? Like, what about like interracial relationships and interracial dynamics at Pride? Like, how do people handle that? What should we be thinking about? What about class? What about ability or different ability or mm-hmm. disability, however you want to refer to it? There's so much to talk about there. Um, what One thing that I think we should bring up sort of in the spirit of that is the fact that despite the fact that Stonewall, the most... I think the most talked about aspect of the origination of Pride, um, which was essentially a, a, either a police revolt or a collection of police revolts, however you want to talk about that, is so relevant and so important. But one of the biggest sort of, I think, marketing pieces that we see that surrounds Pride events is the police presence, like people either hugging police or kissing police or like flirting with cops or like you know what I'm saying like there's this really interesting and I'm using interesting in a very like fun but irritated way like Dolce there's this interesting way. angle here yeah like we're gonna I'm gonna use it I'm, I'm Dolce right now like there's this very strange to me and irksome thing we do in the spirit of like pride where we kind of like juxtapose oppressed people <laughs> with police officers and we try to like present this idea that they're playing nice with each other all the time or that police presence at pride is important or useful or happy or joyous and i think that that is weird and i think that there needs to be a more developed conversation around like the history of police involvement or presence at pride and how we should like move forward as a community Mm. yeah what are your thoughts on that um i watched a video recently with um portland's um like basically their pride video on youtube and i can't remember their name but there was a non-binary trans person who was talking about how they had a rally for pride and it was basically the mood of defund the police like that was the tagline for it Mm. and portland needed to defund the police because at that time they had had i think two trans women of color murdered previously they also had um a few i guess you could say smaller riots that happened um in the city and there of course is always police brutality in every city's portland having a little bit more so than others um and one of the executive directors of um this group called black and beyond the binary collective um they ended up talking about how some of the main people who were up front about abolishing the police are the people who have had the state in their face for centuries, which of course are indigenous people. And um, the collective basically opened up with like a land back acknowledgement. Um, For those who don't know, land back acknowledgements and land back movements are about giving um, basically stolen lands back to indigenous tribes um, for the, like within this country or whatever. So I- It's like a form of reparation. Basically, so what I found interesting is that this entire group, the indigenous group, is against police brutality, against police involvement, state involvement, whatever. But yet, the main pride um, of that is funded by the city is using the dollars of the police, um, like coalition or whatever, in order to fund some of pride in Portland. And so it's funny that in opposition to these grassroots movements and these um, marginalized groups that kind of work under the surface in order to make pride happen and to make these quote unquote, like political groundwork movements work, there's also the state still involved somehow and the majority of the money coming from the state and them being involved in all these initiatives. So there's, there's never a way for even the people who've been wronged by the state the most to ever get away from state involvement and state power um, and state brutality. That's so tough for me because on one end, I a hundred percent feel like that that's irksome and sort of ironic, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, I wonder how, like if we are 
a if we are members of this state together and we have been able to on some level advocate for that membership and for access i feel like if we are paying taxes and we are on this land we should be entitled to some resources and i think and in some cases those resources should come from um uh, aspects of the government or departments of the government that maybe owe something to the queer community do we disagree with that what are our thoughts there mm-hmm. um i mean that goes into a whole like reparations conversation like these are things that actually like people kind of talk about abstractly but there are definite ways like even Dolce bringing up land back like there are actual ways that we can give reparations to communities that have been oppressed for generations like people just think of it like it's just like an abstract idea that like can't be implemented um but these are our our real things that can happen and the first step of it is the government actually taking culpability like for like and then like listing out exactly like what is the damage that is done like there is research there's sociological research that is done can be done but won't be done by the government because they don't it, it's the first step of that is actually taking responsibility and culpability for generations of damage so like again like land back is a relatively new thing that's been embraced by only certain entities i don't even think that the government has really acknowledged any sort of land back like initiatives, yeah. I'm not necessarily sure, but I don't want to go on record and say that that's definitively true. But I don't think that that is the case. So, but I, that's a, such a great example of like a desired outcome that you can campaign for. You can get your little riot riot girls, your chaos agents, your <laughs> on the front lines. Little riot girls. Okay, let's get these twerkers on the front lines, top of funnel. Okay, and then when people start, when they turn around or whatever you see on their shirt, is like, okay, we're doing this today. Like, let's go. And I get those middle of funnel girls, you know, maybe less twerking, more, you know, signing petitions and, and organizing. And then let's, like, get stuff on paper. Like, I feel like the future of Pride should be about taking the chaos and the debauchery and the revelry or whatever you want to call it and like weaponizing it and using it and leveraging it right like some of the first foundational sort of um rhetorical arguments about how gay people should respond and queer people should respond to government oppression and marginalization was hey we're all here like y'all realize how many of us there are we need to start fighting back Mm -hmm. um Especially when it comes to some of our... Like, we have major issues on the docket. Like, Pride does have things that it can put on at the forefront. Um, one of which is, like, Genesec Gutierrez, who's um, part of... And this is from yesterday, but Genesec Gutierrez, who's part of... One of the major members of the trans queer liberation movement. She was, for those who don't know who that is, she was the person um, that was shouting down Obama, um, mm. like, a few years yep. ago. Heckling <laughs> she was heckling him and I was I was we standing. Stand. Um, and she was heckling him because the trans queer liberation movement is working feverishly to help um, trans women of color who are immigrants um, that are being detained in our um, immigration system and in our incarceration system specifically um, and are being mistreated. And as you know, the state is not very good at treating people, period, in the mass incarceration uh, system. However, it's even worse for queer people, especially queer people who are within the gender variance spectrum. So um, Genesis's biggest initiatives right now are helping get medical aid to people within these prisons, within these in incarceration units and helping to put forth movements within each and every state that helps um, all trans and queer people um, within the mass incarceration system. So I think like things like that are already on the docket. We just need to, as people who have privilege, because all, all well, at least from what I know right now, we're all cis in this chat and we're black and brown people we do have privileges um, and we need to amplify the voices of those who do not have that privilege and put these things on the docket with the chaos agents um, in their Pokemon cosplay. 
And I think that's pretty sick to me. <laughs> okay, I think it would be so cool to put, like, a spotlight on some of that stuff in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we're getting really close to time for this episode, um, could we talk about how we're celebrating Pride, if we're celebrating Pride, and maybe some things that we're looking forward to? Uh, I will be breaking into the nearest horse stable and stealing all the drugs. And oh, you were. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry. All the Bushwick girls already did that. No, just kidding. Anyways, so uh, I, like I said, I'm very interested to see personally how um, entire month of Pride is in New York City. This is going to be my first actually even summer living here since I was 18 so that's very um, kind of mind-boggling for me but also it gives me an opportunity to actually see pride work in all its assets and like kind of every nook and cranny of the city because the only time I've ever been in New York City for pride has been one for the last weekend of Pride and as a tourist. So it was like, yeah. we're going to just get fucked up and go around and just go to everything gay and that's just be it. And now I get to really like experience more and I also get to like share that with like my friends that are coming through that I that I get to host, which I'm very excited about too. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of that. It's going to be a lot of yeah. uh, debauchery and porqueria, too. So it's, it's going to be a lot of stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And Bad Bunny. It's Bad Bunny summer. I'm oh, claiming okay. it now. Don't get her started. <laughs> Don't get her started. <laughs> bad Bunny, Bad Bunny. What about you, Tolce? Well, first of all, I'm tired. Um, and then second of all... <laughs> Okay. And shout out to Rosa ball, Parks. Shout out to Rosa Parks, because I really am tired. I'm in the back of this bus, girl. Um, so... For me personally, this pride, I you know, it's my first time living on my own in a very long time. Um, yes, I am very happy to have my own place. I think I'm going to be putting a lot of my time though, this pride, into um, trying to find like youth initiatives. I am really feeling right now, and I'm sorry I have to do this before the show ends, but I'm really feeling my youthful energies and like you know, I'm in Mariah Carey, in Mariah Carey voice, you know, I love my babies, my gay babies, and I'm like 30 and feeling my auntie oats. So like, thanks to Heartstopper, which I have ordered all the books. Um, I have been very interested in helping like the little Gen Z girls because after my assistant quit, <laughs> um, I realized that they definitely needed to quit because their mental health was on the line. And as much as I was trying to mentor and help them, I could only really help them from a perspective of like an older person who something that I've never said before, before, like before this, um, but I'm in a better mental place is that like, I am actually successful and I do have success. Um, I've always had success in my life. I just wasn't in a mentally stable place to see it. Um, Mm. And for these kids, like they're not necessarily in a very good mental place right now, thanks to the pandemic. And also thanks to certain initiatives that are hitting them really hard right now, especially trans youth in Florida. So I wanted to try and find this season, like something that I can help out with, with the don't say gay bill kind of opposition um, for trans youth, because I mean, the suicide rates are up really high and I just don't like the way that I'm seeing um, the kid, the kids, the babies, like the kids are not going to be all right if y'all don't do something about this. And, um, you know, the kids are their future. So it would be nice for me to find something um, to help them out with. Obviously, I'm going to go out and do, you know, gay party things um, because I can host. (laughs) But also, um, (laughs) you know. When she said go out, when she said go out and do gay stuff, she said stay in and do gay stuff. (laughs) My house is out. My house is out. I mean, you can do both. Like, there's cruising spots everywhere. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. that, Sniffies, shout out out to Sniffies, girl. Shout out to Sniffies. Okay, so she's, so just for the audience, she's successful, so she's lowering the age slider a couple years. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 crossing into your your, your, uh, sugar daddy era. All tea, yeah, I would like to, you know, help trans youth and things like that this Pride, (laughs) while also, you know, dancing around the poppers and shit like that. So, you know, stay tuned to that. um, That And happy Pride, everyone. 
Um, I know for me, as the eldest of the Popper Puff girls, I really feel like... Um, <laughs> and also the one who does not engage. Um, I fully That's agree with both of y'all. I don't do that. I don't do these things. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's so important, I think, to do both of what y'all are sort of focused on doing. Um, I feel like too often we think that because there's so much work to do that it's almost like a waste of time to engage in like that level of mindless sort of fun and enjoyment and fundamentally just joy. And as a black boy and as a queer person, um, I think joy is a fundamental uh, tactic in sort of a matrix of things we could be doing to resist and to sort of speak truth to power. And so I feel like if we have any fun, if we've managed to have any peace of mind or managed to get a little too drunk and to be a little too happy, even in the midst of everything that's going on, I think we've succeeded on one front. And so my goal in Pride is to be proud and to be happy and to be fucking in love with everyone that I've been able to come across in my journey to where I am now. And on top of that, like you, Dolce, you know, I'm, you know, I've pushed 30. She's pushed right off the cliff. Here mm-hmm. we are. And I'm really excited to um, just be an adult and to be grown and to enjoy myself and to know myself and to be here. And also to sort of give back in similar ways to you. Like, I'm definitely going to be looking for opportunities to connect with, you know, those less fortunate, those younger, those less experienced, and also to connect with my peers and to... Um, also reach to the generation before me because I feel like as a queer person I've actually had less ability to do that than I'd like to, right? Like to connect with older gays in the context of understanding each other and, you know, uplifting each other. So I'm going to be mingling and it's going to be super fun and I hope to see both of y'all sometime this upcoming month. To you. Also, yeah. uh, (laughs) Also, if you do see me, (laughs) <laughs> do not turn on the record button because I don't need my face out there like that. Girl, you know, we have a snap now, so um <clears throat> I, I will I will request I will request approval prior, but you Work. know, we may open that camera up. We may have to. Yeah.